0: If you weren't in here a little bit ago, you don't know who I am. My name is Dustin France. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And we are continuing our story on Samson. But but I wanted to call attention to this fascinating story from from science history that, that I am always amazed by when I hear it. In fact is in, in 1897, George Stratton is is a scientist, psychologist who releases three papers. Discovery in which he details a fascinating discovery that he has made about human vision. And what George Stratton discovered is that if he put on glasses that flipped the image he saw upside down, he wanted to know, could I make it? Could I survive with my world being completely flipped upside down? And he wore these glasses for eight days. What's fascinating is that on day three, he began to see the world right-side-up. George's brain recalibrated every bit of imagery he was taking in and recognized this is upside-down, so let's flip it. And he began to walk through reality as normal. And when he took the glasses off after eight days, in a matter of hours, his brain readjusted to the new perspective. And he repeated this with other people, and in experiments, Every single time, it worked. See, what people saw their world as, their brain could adjust to. If they were given a different perspective, if they were given a different perception of how the world around them looked, their brain recalibrated and said, I guess that is reality. If you have a new perspective or hold a certain perception for long enough, you begin to think it's true. And if your brain can completely flip what you see in three days, what might your brain do with 20 years to form a perception of what is true? That's what we're going to be exploring with Samson today. See, Samson, we get to go into Judges 16, and Judges 16 tells the demise of Samson. But the end of Judges 15 tells us that that Samson's story Samson's leadership in Israel, Samson's fighting with the Philistines, this is a 20-year process. This is not a fast one-week bout. This is decades of Samson being who Samson is. And before we jump into chapter 16 in the book of Judges, we need to talk about what has come before in the first two chapters that tell Samson's story, because Judges 16 is just a continuation of the three chapters before it. The story of Samson is one of, it's an incredible story. It's fascinating. All of us um, are somewhat familiar with Samson. It's not just a Christian thing anymore. It is such a fascinating story that it has worked its way into our cultural knowledge. Samson is announced before he is even conceived that he is going to be a special individual. He will be used. An angel appears to Samson's parents and says, This child is going to be set apart for great things. He will be a deliverer of the Israelites from the Philistines. He is marked for greatness. It says he's to be a Nazarite from birth. And we don't have super long to, to go into all the details of exactly what a Nazarite was. Three easy words to help you would be drink. Dead dreads, okay? Those are the three things that a Nazarite is supposed to stay away from, right? Supposed to stay away from from any fruit that grows on the vine, so grapes, um, wine, the like. He's supposed to never cut his hair. That would be the dreads. And he's supposed to stay away from dead things, particularly dead people, right? So Samson is supposed to abstain from those things. That's the command that is given before he is ever born, and Samson takes the potential of a, a, a proclaimed by God deliverer and leader, he takes all of that potential and he squanders it. If we look at how Samson lives his life, he decides that he, he could be a strategic leader of Evansville and at some point, or not Evansville, of, <laughs> of Israel, I wish. Um, no, he, he, he decides, you know, I could be a great, powerful, strategic leader of Israel, but nah, I'm just going to do what I want to do. That is the story that permeates the life of Samson, right? And so he decides he's going to do what he wants to do. And that is the choice that Samson makes more than any other choice in his whole life. Right? And, and so the, the quick version of a lot of the details that we see in the life of Samson, Samson sees a Philistine woman. He decides that he is going to, to marry this Philistine woman. Why does, he want to, why does he marry the Philistine woman? Because he wants to. right? And you can just get real comfortable with that phrase. Because after Samson decides that he's going to marry this woman because he wants to, again, this is a Philistine woman, the people of whom he's supposed to be delivering God's people from, Right? He's supposed to be fighting the Philistines, but he decides, I want to marry that Philistine woman. And leading up to the wedding festivities of marrying this Philistine woman, he kills a lion with his bare hands, then later comes across its rotting carcass and discovers that bees have made honey inside this carcass, and that honey looks good, so he grabs it, he eats it himself, and he feeds it to his family, breaking that Nazarite rule, no dead people. right? No dead things. Stay away from dead things. He decides that he really wants to eat the honey out of the dead lion's carcass because he wants to. There is no reason. God is not directing him to do this. Samson decides I'm going to eat the honey because I want to. Then he decides as a part of the wedding festivities, the feast leading up to the wedding, that he is going to give what he thinks is a very clever and also impossible riddle for other people to solve. This creates hostility and he gets played by his wife-to-be and his enemies. And he finds himself at odds with 30 Philistine men who have been promised new clothes for Samson. So he goes out and he murders 30 Philistine men. Why? Because he wants to. Again, no command from God. This is what he's supposed to do. He's mad. He wants to to get even. And so he goes and he does it. Then 30 Philistine men, they don't like that 30 of their men were killed. And so the people of the village come back to Samson and he's been slighted by his father-in-law. And and he decides that he's going to exact revenge on the people of Philistine, Philistia, because they have killed, um, I'm sorry, um, his father-in-law has given away his bride to a friend, says, but you can have her younger sister because she's prettier, because that's what is valuable in a woman. This does not make Samson happy. So, Samson goes, and he ties 300 foxes together by their tails, lights them on fire, abuses the foxes, and completely destroys a regional economy based on agriculture by destroying all of their crops. Why? Because he wants to. Right? He completely decimates the economic future of a region because he's mad. So they come back and they murder his would-be father-in-law and the younger sister, Samson feels no no remorse or sorrow over his role in this. Instead, he decides that he needs to get even. Things are really, really bad. He kills, slaughters several Philistines. Then 3,000 of his own people come to him and say, Samson, this is out of control. We need to be done. We're gonna take you and we're gonna give you over to the Philistines. So 3,000 of his own people give him over to his enemies. Why? because they want to be rid of him. Samson goes to the site where he's handed over, shows his amazing strength, grabs the jawbone of a dead donkey, again, dead things, and he slaughters a thousand Philistines right there. Why? Because he wants to. At no point does God say, Samson, do this. Samson, this is the plan. And if you look at those numbers, you see the exponential growth of the destruction that comes into Samson's world. Three becomes 30, becomes 300, becomes 3,000. Thousands of people die as a result of Samson's wants and anger. And a question comes into play, right? Just... Obviously, as we are reading it afterwards, but for sure, anybody involved in the story of Samson, a question comes into focus throughout his story that is, what is the source of Samson's strength? Because these are not things that God is telling him to do. Now, we know that God is working in spite of Samson's anger and rage and selfishness, right? God God can... He can write straight with a crooked pencil. That's something that we've said over and over the last several weeks. But why is Samson so strong? Why is he allowed to do this? Why can he be so strong while being so awful at the same time? If that question comes to you as a reader of the story, it's probably to a much lesser extent than everybody who would interact with Samson everybody in that story would most definitely want to know what is the source of his strength. Right? What is the source of Samson's strength? Is it his Nazarite vow? Is it his hair? Is it him and his own talent and ability and strength? I think it would be really hard to figure out if you were a contemporary of Samson. In fact, if you had 20 years to form your own perspective on what gave Samson his strength, you might come to an incorrect conclusion. I think most of us that have read the story of Samson have come to an incorrect conclusion. I think Samson himself came to an incorrect conclusion on what the source of his strength was. Because the reality is the source of Samson's strength was not his hair. The source of Samson's strength was the Lord. God's power was always the source of Samson's strength. Samson just didn't quite know exactly how that worked. And everybody around him didn't know how that worked. And that's the story of chapter 16. Right, so chapter Judges 16 starts. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her, and I, I emphasize that word saw, or I thought I did, um, because this is not the first time that Samson's eyes have gotten himself, gotten him into trouble, right? If we remember back into Judges 14, verses 1 and 2, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Again, super romantic, Right? Um, also, in verse 8 of 14, sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Right? Samson perpetually finds himself in these situations because he saw something and he wanted it. And so he continues. He goes to the city of Gaza. He sees a prostitute, and he decides, I want her. And so he goes in and lies down with her. He's spending the night and word gets out, right? 16 verse two continues. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. This is not a small feat, okay? This is not a gate like you have at your house. As awesome as you might have a phenomenal home with an incredible, very impressive gate, it is not a gate like this. Okay, if you were trying to take over a city, your entire army would try to open the gates of that city. That was the way in. Everything else was covered by by masonry walls, fortified heavily. If you could break open the gates of a city, you could take that city. You exposed that city to, to every bit of your will that you wanted to. Samson does what an entire army would dedicate their siege to do, not just by opening the doors, but ripping the doors off their posts. He doesn't just open them. He carries the gates on his back up a hill that faces the town to strike fear into his enemies. Now, again, why did, why did he do this? Because God told him to? No. Because he wanted to. There's no orchestrated effort of how he was going to inflict pain on the enemies, how this was going to be used to deliver the Israelites from the hands of their oppressors. This was Samson wanting to strike fear into the hearts of his enemies because he could. And if you are a Philistine who has just watched the doors of your city be ripped apart and carried off by one man, you're going to ask the question, what is is the source or the secret of his strength. Right? You, you want to figure that out because this, this is going on for 20 years. How do we defeat this guy? It's also really easy if you're Samson at some point to think, what is the source of my strength? Maybe it's me. God hasn't told me to do any of this Right? He's clearly not afraid to be around dead things, dead people. And we don't know that Samson drank wine. We don't know that he ate things that he wasn't supposed to. But I think it's pretty easy to assume from the account of the wedding feast and how Samson conducts himself that he was not completely sober. Is it really just about his hair? If so, why is that the one piece of his Nazarite vow that's so important when he can break the others? Is it about his Nazarite vow, or is it really just about how amazing Samson is? Right, The source of Samson's strength is the Lord, but it might be really easy to confuse that. It goes on, verse 4. It says, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, the source of his strength, and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And for the sake of time, we don't have, we can't go into every little detail here, but I think it's fascinating that Delilah is the first woman who's given a name in Samson's story. There's a Philistine woman, that he wants his parents to go out and get for him, that he calls a heifer. There's a younger sister, whose only thing we know about her is that she's more beautiful because that's what matters in a woman. And there's a prostitute in the city of Gaza. None of them have names. All of a sudden, we meet this woman, Delilah. And what we find out about Delilah is that Samson loves her. That's another word that has not been used in conjunction with Samson and a woman at any point in this story. Samson loves Delilah. And Delilah does love, she just doesn't love Samson. What Delilah loves is money. Delilah loves money far more than she loves Samson. And the Philistine rulers think they have a way, finally, to discover the million dollar question. What is The source, what is the secret of Samson's power? They go to Delilah and she says, Sure, I'll help you. As long as the number's right. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret, the source of your great strength, and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you! But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret, the source of his strength, was not discovered. Now, I'm not sure about how you do relationships, but if I'm Samson and this has just played out, we've got a problem. Right, literally, she asks him, what is your greatest weakness? How, can, how could your largest vulnerability be exploited in a way that would destroy you? He then supposedly tells her, and immediately she does the exact thing, right? She doesn't like go to Home Depot and get the, the previously dried bowstrings because that's all she could find. No, she gets exactly what he asked for, does the very thing he says, this will destroy me. And then she invites his enemies to her house so that they can ambush him immediately. Why on earth does Samson not get out of this situation, right? It's absolutely insane. But it doesn't happen just once. It happens again and again, right? She comes back to him and she says, "This, this is horrible, right? You're going to embarrass me. And so he goes again. He says this time, you know, no, if you use new ropes that have never been used on anyone, then my strength will be gone. And so she invites the enemies over. She ties them up with new ropes, says, hey, they're here. And he breaks them. She gets mad again. And she says, come on, tell me the secret, the source of your strength. And he says, well, if you weave my hair into a loom and stick it in with a pin, I'll be helpless. She does that. and, and, not only how does Samson put up with this relationship, how does Samson sleep through all of these things that she is doing to him, right? Right, my wife says, you know, she says, I don't want to sleep like a baby, I want to sleep like my husband um, at our house because we have young kids, and it's amazing what I can sleep through. I promise you, I could not sleep through the things that Samson sleeps through. And so this happens again and again. Clearly, this woman does not love him, does not care about him, is interested in seeing him handed over to his enemies. Yet she comes back and she says in verse 15, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret, the source of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day. No, not week after week or month after month or year after year, day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Here's the question in full focus. What is the source or the secret of Samson's strength? Right, and there are two possibilities. The first one is it's his hair. Right, pretty, pretty obvious. Samson says this is the possibility. Right, it's his, it's his Nazarite vow and his commitment to not cutting his hair that make him special. If that is the case, if Samson really does believe that his hair is the source of his strength, then he is either the biggest idiot on the planet or... He is so far into sin and lust that he does not care what happens to him or Israel. And I know that sounds crazy to believe. But I want you to stop. Take a mental inventory. See if you know anyone who has been so blinded by sin and lust that they don't care what happens to them or anybody else in their life. It's not a completely far-fetched idea. Samson is completely head over heels in on Delilah. He is so far beyond just ignoring God's will that maybe he does not care what happens. The other possibility is that it's not his hair. I know that's a complex distinction to make. (laughs) But maybe because we've already seen that he's broken other parts of his Nazarite vow, and that didn't seem to have an effect on what happened to his strength, maybe it's not his hair. Why would his hair be the only thing that matters? Why is it that everything comes down to whether or not he gets a haircut? Why is that the one external behavior that God seems to care about in giving Samson his strength or not? Maybe Samson knows... The source, the secret of his strength, is not his hair. The source of his strength is the Lord. But I would also say there's a really good chance that Samson doesn't even know where he stands with the Lord anymore. Or maybe Samson has bought into this idea that he can break whatever piece of the Nazarite vow he wants to. The reason that he has strength is because he's just that awesome. His performance is that incredible. Show me anybody else that can carry the gates of a city on their back. Show me anybody else that can pick up a bone and kill a thousand people with it. Show me anybody else that you need to have 3,000 soldiers come round you up to present you. 20 years of that and I think it would be really easy to begin to see yourself As amazing. I think Samson has so far deceived himself that he doesn't think anything will happen when his hair is cut. And I think that because it goes on to say when Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Why on earth would he think that? I think if he had never cut his hair, the first thing he would notice when he woke up is that he was about 30 pounds lighter. Why did he think he could just do what he'd done before? Because his strength wasn't tied to his hair. His strength was tied to the Lord, except Samson was so blind to the Lord that he had no idea the Lord had left him. That's what he goes on to say, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Right, in Samson's perspective, in the way that Samson viewed the world... He could do whatever he wanted to, and either because he was just that awesome or because certain parts of his life were kept in check, that everything internal did not matter. As long as he could keep the external performance up, everything on the inside was okay. As long as he could still trash the Philistines, it's no big deal that his life is run by sin and lust and anger. As long as the exterior performance is okay, the inside must be fine. Reality is, Samson's hair was not the source of his power. Samson's demise was not a Philistine barber. Samson's demise was losing sight of who God was and the purpose for which he had been given an incredible gift. Right, Samson's demise was believing that as long as he could do incredible things, as long as he could perform very well, that everything was fine, and he could keep certain parts of his vow or keep certain behaviors in place and let everything else go. Everything else could be controlled by sin. It's a tragic story. Because we find then the Philistine sees him gouge out his eyes and take him down to Gaza. Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, the second he gets stubble, he doesn't break chains, and we're going to go into the conclusion of the story next week. But I want to ask, as we look at this tragic story of Samson, is it kind of like your story too? Right? Do you do anything to not really recognize the source of your strength? Are there things that you trust in to make sure as long as these external things or behaviors or metrics are good, that must mean everything else is okay? Can you compartmentalize your life in a way that says, as long as I do these certain things that make me look like a good person, a good Christian, as long as I perform in these certain areas, as long as I don't shave my hair, Everything will be fine. And I'm going to keep making it. And you're so talented and gifted that you're really, really good at whatever it is that gives you your strength. And maybe you've bought into the idea that you are so talented and gifted and good at whatever it is that gives you your strength that you believe you yourself are the source of your strength. Right? Either either as long as you can keep... The external behaviors in check enough that nobody else sees what's going on inside, or you really believe that you are so good and so close to perfection that you are going to make it. Maybe if you're either of those, you're not that far from Samson, right? As long as your job looks good, as long as your family looks good, as long as you can keep a political advantage, as long as you have enough money and control and religious activity everything is good. right Inside, maybe it's pride, maybe it's lust, maybe it's consumption, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's something else that's running everything, but as long as you can keep the performance good, nobody knows. Nobody has to find out the source of the secret of your strength. The problem is... Keeping up that good of a performance is impossible. And the strongest man in the world is the perfect example. You cannot live as Samson lived forever. At some point, your strength leaves you when you have left the source of your strength. You cannot defeat sin by your own power. You are not that good. You're not that strong. Your performance might be incredible. You may have been gifted in unbelievable ways. But at some point, that strength runs out. At some point, you need a strength that is far greater than your own, and that strength does not come from anything other than faith in Jesus. The story of Samson looks a lot like our stories. It also looks a lot like the story of Jesus with some very, very big differences. Right? Samson and Jesus are both declared preconception to be deliverers, to be people who would rescue God's people. Samson grows up in strength, and he uses that to terrorize his enemies, creating death and division and hatred. Jesus grows up in obscurity and poverty, and he blesses his enemies. He heals them, and he sets people free. Samson sees women as objects, as property to be had. He sees prostitutes as people to be used. Jesus sees women as people to be elevated, to be defended, to be served. He sees prostitutes as future leaders and disciples in the kingdom. Samson cares only about his will and acts regardless of what the will of God might be. And Jesus cares only about the will of his father, putting aside his own hopes and desires. Samson was betrayed by a woman for silver, blinded by sin and lust. Jesus was willingly betrayed by a friend for silver, submitting to God's plan. Samson carries the gates of a city on his back up a hill to scare his enemies. Jesus would carry a cross on his back up a hill to defeat death and sin. Which story do you trust in? Which story do you live? Is happiness found in, in whatever you think can give you strength in whatever performance might be most impressive? Or is life found In Jesus, Jesus and Samson look very different, and they give you very different results. Maybe it's time to stop trusting in a false perception of what reality is. Maybe it's time to stop trusting in a wrong perspective that says, you are your own rescuer or things you are good at, things that benefit you, are the things that you are rescued in. But rather, you're rescued in the person of Jesus. The meek, the mild, the suffering Jesus, that is the one who actually brings victory. Jesus who died on a cross for you. That is the rescuer Samson's story points to. And if it's not the rescuer your story points to, I would encourage you to change that. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good. You are the rescuer. And Jesus, somehow it is in your death and resurrection that we find victory and life. Jesus, may we trust in you. Jesus, may we trust in you far more than our own performance. May we trust in you far more than any fake perception of reality that we desperately cling to. Jesus, I pray that today we would have the strength and the courage to let go of whatever it is we think makes us so powerful. Lord, may we come to you at a cross. May we come professing faith in the only name that saves. Lord, may we find true freedom with you. Jesus, it is in your holy and precious name we pray.